0: The 205th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. To say Lauren Steinlogge is not afraid to experiment is a vast understatement. During the past decade, the Northeastern Iowa farmer has transformed his 750 acre operation from one that raised corn year after year on the same fields utilizing large amounts of fertilizer and other inputs into one that is what he calls a jungle mix of diversity. He utilizes interseeding to create a situation where there are living roots in the ground, as well as cover on the soil's surface, 365 days a year. Using equipment he's designed himself, Steinloggy is constantly tinkering with ways to get cocktail mixes of cover crops growing between the rows of his corn and soybeans in a kind of relay system. In other words, it's difficult to determine where one crop's growing season ends and another begins. Such a system has many payoffs. For one, his land's ability to manage water has increased dramatically, which means less erosion and fewer nutrients are leaving the farm. And he's able to do field work when his neighbor's operations are too muddy to get into. Steinloggy feels his system is a winner financially as well. In some cases, his relay system of cropping is allowing him to harvest more than one marketable crop off the same field during the same growing season. But even more importantly, all that diversity is making his soil more resilient and able to generate its own homegrown fertility, which pays off in the short term as well as the long term. Steinloggy is a big believer in farmer-to-farmer education and has spoken about his system around the US as well as in other countries. His family also brings local student groups to the farm to learn more about the benefits of adding diversified enterprises in the midst of corn-soybean country. The farmer recently spoke at a Land Stewardship Project Soil Builders Network meeting in southeastern Minnesota. During a break, I talked to him about why diversifying out of monocropping is so important to building long-term resiliency. We also talked about how he measures his return on investment and some future goals he's got in mind for the farm. As this interview will make clear, Loren Steinlogge is never satisfied with the status quo and is constantly brainstorming ways to make his soils as self-sufficient as possible. Lauren, uh, you just gave a great presentation on kind of the system that you have been working with and some of the ideas you have for modifying that system and improving it. Sounds like you're never really satisfied with what you got there. You're, you're I guess, a true innovator that way. You're, you're, you're not satisfied saying that I'm going to keep doing this. You're going to kind of push it a little bit. I was wondering if you could just give a little background on when you maybe first realized that the kind of corn-on-corn corn system that you were using wasn't quite working out either, I guess, biologically uh, and yield-wise and, and ag- agronomically, but maybe uh, economically as well. Was there a, a, a moment or two or an uh, one aha moment where you went, okay, this isn't working, I really got to change, because you have changed significantly the way you're doing things?
1: I love my corn-on-corn corn operation, but I, I know to keep progressing and figure out where we're going right now we need to add the diversity we've we've we can do pretty good to add in the interseed cover crops but the risk is just getting to be too high with the corn on corn operation and uh i don't want to have to worry what my banker thinks you know i just want to you know i'm not afraid to admit we didn't have the best year this year but uh we had no questions asked the bills were paid and by building the resilience into our system, you know, we're, not spent, we're not buying bushels. You know, too many people are focused on how many bushels we produce. I'm for, focused on what we have left when we're done.
0: And one of the things you talked about was you really look at rate of return. Can you talk a little bit more about that, how important that is for you and what you're, how you're gauging that rate of return?
1: Any, any time we write a check to the co-op or the chemical supplier or the fertilizer business, that leaves the farm. If we can get to the point where we're generating that income on farm instead of writing a check off farm, I, I can't see the anything bad in that.
0: So and one of the things you had talked about you had looked at oh, uh, there was a piece of ground where you were using the, the companion relay system and it it had your highest rate of return and maybe the yield was the same on the rest of the farm but you you felt like your rate of return was better
1: because of that
0: companion relay system that you're using
1: well the, the field in question yielded 236 bushel an acre in the middle of that field we had our relay companion test plot that averaged uh, about 40 bushels of soybeans and 40 bushel cereal rye the return on that ended up being 25 percent better than the 236 corn bushel an acre corn and when you see that, it's like, why am I risking, you know, $100 an acre in seed, $100 an acre in nitrogen, you know, stuff like that, when I can do more with less. One of the things that you have really,
0: seems like it's really gotten you excited and, and is really kind of leading some of your innovation is this interaction of different plant species. That And you'd let off, you're talking about, say, the three-sister system that, you know, that the Native Americans had used, but you're kind of trying to replicate that a little bit through this really diverse system talk a little bit about how that is kind of leading what you're, you're uh, how you're setting your goals that how can we figure out a way to interact these different uh plant systems
1: the the whole three sister concept is based on the corn plant is the trellis for the the squash or the soybean to climb on the squash provides the cover for ground cover to eliminate weeds the soybean provides nitrogen for the corn to grow so it's a it's a evolving circle that just keeps supporting itself now when we start looking at, at our current system I don't want to reinvent the wheel I just want to try to figure out how I can implement that in nooks and crannies and try to the more we do this the less fertility we're showing we need the, you know the less we talk about a leaky system. I'm plugging leaks. It's probably the simplest way to look at it. You know, I showed the pictures of the soil running off. The, you know, we've all seen the pictures this winter. People are showing soil, sam- or taking soil tests from the snurt in the road ditches. Yeah. That's all fertility leaving the farm. And then, we you know, we know with the massive rains we're getting, if we're infiltrating it, we know stuff is leaching. So if we can keep it living right there, keep that in suspension until we need it, it's starting to work.
0: Can you take me through just, uh, you had several examples and, and very intricate examples, some of them, but take me through maybe a typical season where you're, you are starting out with a cover crop that you're interseeding and then you're going through through the winter and then you do your uh, companion cropping. What would be uh, just one quick example of how a system that you have set up? I know that quick. that's...
1: Quick. <laughs> It doesn't have to be quick, but uh, uh, what, <laughs> from gonna, beginning gonna, to end, it's <laughs> about a fifty-step program here. <laughs> you know, we, we start out. We'll start out with the interseeding. If I know that field is going to corn, we'll interseed a legume mix that will help generate nitrogen, but also produce nitrogen for the following corn field. And then that'll overwinter, and we'll terminate it when we, after we establish the corn, then we will come in and apply another interseed mix that is based more on grass because that field will probably be destined to go to soybeans the following year. If it's going to be soybeans, we'll let that overwinter or we'll terminate it in the fall and then establish a twin, well, the twin row drill. We'll come in and establish the rye or winter wheat, which would set it up for the relay crop. And then May, we'll come in and plant the beans when it's fit. And when the beans are up and emerge, that's, we'll that will terminate the cover crop or we'll take it through to harvest, is about the end of May is when we make that call. Uh, one of the things you talked about was this idea of one of your goals
0: is to kind of do self-termination or kind of chemical-free termination um, and y- using the, kind of using the companion planting to terminate the crop a little bit. Uh,
1: we, we've been attempting to do in-row termination for the last two years. This spring we got very close. We had total failure up front, but I learned enough that day that uh, when mother nature threw us a few curveballs and I had cereal rye come back alive, we had to learn quick. And I I woke up two o'clock one morning figuring out how to build the pieces in my head. It turned out I had the right parts and pieces on the drill. I just put them in the wrong places. I went out in the shop. Six hours later, the drill rolled out of the shop and we went in the field and we were gathering and rolling cereal rye in corn, or in corn that was laying flat over top of the corn, and we we packed it in so tight where it was green yet that it actually composted.
0: Hmm. So that composting kind of controlled your weeds, and and uh, you were then able to kind of go with that?
1: Traditionally managed field. I mean, we're, we're still, you know, we, we applied herbicide the day before we interseeded it. You know, I would have loved to have been applying the, her, the interseed that day, but we were kind of salvage mode that day, so... Everything's a stepping stone to the next, you know, I have a long-term picture of where I want to be. Every time we move forward, we do hit roadblocks, and once in a while we have to back up and retreat. And, but, you know, we have a general picture of where we want to go. Sounds
0: like one of the other things uh, that you're maybe working toward, or you got some ideas about, it, is in- integrating livestock back into the operation.
1: I have two daughters that have both made it aware that they want to come home and help on the family farm. Now, for a person that can't bail around livestock due to health conditions, I've got to be careful. I'm setting myself up where I'm going to eventually step away from the farm and let them take it over. That's how much I believe the value of livestock is in an operation. But to do this, we can't afford to rent pasture in our area. So I'm looking at alternatives so we can graze year-round without taking crop out of production.
0: It's, I get the sense from your presentation you're very excited about this kind of soil health that you're able to build on the farm, the diversity, but the other element of that is it, it sounds like it's, it's it's going to provide a niche for family members to come back into the operation.
1: We, we've got a master plan. The girls are both committed to, I hope, You know, I'm not trying to force them, but when they tell me they want to come home and farm, that's one of the proudest days I've had. I get, You know, my dad stepped out of the way for me to thrive farming, and I'm hoping to pay that forward and step out of the way and allow them because they've got some pretty neat ideas.
0: You had talked a little bit about some of the, uh, you're seeing the return on investment, you feel like you've got your costs down and and that, but the other thing was some of the environmental benefits, seeing some reduction in runoff.
1: What, what I'm seeing on our farm is, you know, our, we're 100% pattern tiled and our tile line do not run anymore unless we have a surge event where we get these 2 to 3 inch rains. But I'm confident we can hold that rain so it's not really worrying me. I, I showed the nitrate sampling we are doing, yes there's some tests that are high but the, it's, they're high for a day. And then all of a sudden the, the, we built the water holding capacity in our soil where our tile line just don't run. When we get these dry years, that should help pull us through them dry spills.
0: And you're seeing, you had a, a slide, a pretty striking slide showing erosion in your neighborhood, pretty extreme kind of drifting of sediment. That was not too far from where you farm, and then you showed a slide of yours, and it just it's obvious that your land's managing that water much better.
1: Well, the, the slide I showed was on my property at our property line, the erosion, it was six foot deep of silt and sand at our creek crossing, 100 feet from our fence line. But it, as the, the key I wanted to show people, there's the tile, there, the creek runs the opposite direction. You know, you go a couple hundred feet down the creek and into our waterway, the same rainfall event, we, we've got clear water coming. And I mean, th- this was a seven-inch rainfall. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, was it a
0: 21 inches you got in
1: one week? We had about 21 inches, we had three six to seven inch events in one week. So it was a good 20 inch rainfall event over a week time frame. So in
0: general, just overall, you're just you're making that that soil and those fields much more resilient, kind of to kind of put up with situations like these kind of extreme situations.
1: Well, and it, it, it's we're, you know the original reason I got into cover crops was to build water holding capacity, but even with the extreme event we saw this year. We're, we're back to where do I need to be building more water holding capacity or, you know, if this is going to become a normal event, I might have to break down and tile more now. We, we've come full circle. It took a 21-inch event to show us that.
0: You get around a lot. I know you even uh, speak internationally, and you go to a lot of uh, workshops and uh, talk to a lot of people, both farmers and scientists, who are kind of on the cutting edge of this soil health uh, I don't know, I hate to call it revolution, but it's a real exciting area right now of agriculture. What's one or two things that really got you excited about giving it a try? I get the feeling you're not afraid to experiment. You've developed, you've uh, built some of your own equipment, designed your own equipment, that type of thing, but also very willing to experiment with the actual systems and seeding rates and all of that. What, what's something that you just like, wow, I, re- I can't wait to maybe give that a shot?
1: Uh, the be- best thing I see out of this whole deal is what I told people. You know, We've got a 12-year-old girl out of our kids' program telling her uncles and grandpas that they need to learn how to no-till and cover crop. It's like we've, we've, we've done something.
0: I mean, the, some of the stuff you're looking at is you said at one point you'd like to see five crops off the same field in the same year.
1: Yes, I mean, we, we've already done the triple crop this year. But, you know, it's, it's going to be as simple as adding bees to, you know, forage off of the flowering crops and then uh, following up with cattle grazing.
0: I mean, we've got a capacity crowd here. Are you seeing farmers who are not just coming to these meetings but are willing to try some of these
1: things? It's, it, it's happening. I mean, you know, we, we've been from West Union, Iowa, to North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Michigan, Saskatchewan, Kansas. You know, the National No-Till Conference was chock full of regenerative ag. The No-Till on the Plains this year, they were swinging for the fences. People are getting out there and showing people what we're doing.
0: For more on the Land Stewardship Project's Soil Builders Network, see landstewardshipproject.org. There you'll find fact sheets, resources, information on upcoming workshops and videos. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevor at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member... Visit LandStewardshipProject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.